Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today is one of those rare Sundays, though, that we're not in a sermon series. And in between a guest speaker and, and a new series starting next week, it affords me the opportunity to preach a standalone message, which doesn't happen very often around here. Um, but, but today I get to do that. And today I want to I speak to you on the subject of the anchor of hope. The anchor of hope. Amen. Um, in April of 2018... Mandy and I had the privilege to visit the seaside city of Caesarea Maritima, also called Caesarea Maritime. And uh, we, we were able to stand on the shores. This is not to be confused with, in your Bible, it's, there's a place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, that is a different place. This, this place is Caesarea Maritima, which is uh, Caesarea by the sea, is, is what it would mean. Uh, it, it's an advanced city on the western coast of Israel, on the, on the Mediterranean Sea. And there it is home to Herod's palace, um, the, the Hippodrome, where there's, there were horse races and different sporting events that were held there. Uh, there's an amphitheater that still stands today. It was used for, for public performances and concerts, and they still use it today for concerts. As a matter of fact, you can see the amphitheater there and uh, we, we, we walked up in there and stood all, all, all up in there. And just um, not long after we were there, uh, Hillsong United and, and Pastor Brian Houston uh, did a concert there, and he spoke there. And uh, we were actually watching TV one day and actually saw them there. And it was kind of remarkable knowing that you had, you had been right there at that place. But, but it has stood the, the, the test of time, and, and, and that amphitheater still stands. But it was here. Matter of fact, Herod's palace is, is right here, right in the middle of the screen there, the remains of it with the columns there. And it's possibly right there that in, in 59 AD that the apostle Paul found himself there um, nearby, behind bars, waiting to be extradited to Rome. And for his own safety, Paul, who was a Roman citizen, by the way, um, he had been moved from Jerusalem two years earlier. Uh, in Jerusalem, uh, there were some um, some uh, Asian Jews that were that were very upset that that Paul brought in uh, what they believe were Gentiles into the temple, and they they were not they were not happy with Paul, and so they 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 kind of caused a scene, and riots started, and and they were planning on killing Paul. And so under the, the darkness, uh, under the cover of darkness, they, they moved Paul uh, to the coast, to Caesarea Maritime, uh, and, and there he just awaited to, to get on a boat and to eventually end up in Rome. But while he was there, um, he had the opportunity to, to plead his case before Governor Festus. First it was Governor Felix, then it was Governor Festus. And Festus didn't know what to do with Paul. He just didn't, he didn't feel like he, he deserved to be in prison, and he didn't really know exactly what to do with Paul. And King Agrippa, who was the great, let me get this right, it's the great-grandson of Herod the Great, King Agrippa, and um, he would be the last of the Herodian kings, and, and King Agrippa was visiting, and Festus asked him, he said, can, can you hear his case? Can you help me decide this? So Paul gets an audience with the governor and the king. And when Paul stands before them, right there, possibly in that palace right there, um, 
Paul doesn't necessarily plead his case, uh, as in, I'm an innocent man, I'm free, I should be free, you know, that kind of thing. He starts sharing his testimony, his road to conversion. And as he shares about his conversion, in, in his speech, you can just feel like the, the heart of evangelism, which, I mean, Paul was just a, a tremendous evangelist. And, and his writings are still changing the lives of people today. And Paul just starts sharing with them. Um, rather than defending himself, he presents the gospel and what, what Jesus did for his life. And he told them these words that day. He said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. He said, I wish that you could become just like me in your faith and your trust, except I just want you to be free. I don't want you to be bound by these chains, but I want you to have what I have. He was so convinced of the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus Christ that, that he just wanted everyone that he came in contact with to experience that also. He was just overwhelmed with God's love, and he wanted you to have it. And so even though that day he did not convert the governor or King Agrippa, Paul would have been set free. As a matter of fact, King Agrippa said this. He said, we, we could let him go except for this one fact. He has petitioned, appealed to stand before Caesar. And because of that document, because he has made the appeal to stand before Caesar, we've got to keep him a prisoner and eventually, we've got to get him to Rome. Now, you, you might think this is crazy. And before you feel sorry for Paul, understand this is Paul's wish. He is not going to drop the case. He's not going to not appeal this before Caesar. Because um, what you have to understand is that your knowledge of salvation and your relationship with Christ, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it, it depends upon Paul going to Rome and sharing the gospel. Because if he can get that audience, then, then, then things are going to change around this world. And Paul understands that. And so in shackles, they send Paul and some other prisoners to Rome on a ship that was scheduled to make numerous stops along the way. And after a few stops at port, at different ports, Paul, he feels very strongly that they should not proceed. You can, you can call it premonition, you can call it foresight, you can call it whatever you want to. I just call it wisdom because it was the winter. And uh, the weather was very unpredictable on the Mediterranean Sea during that time of the year. And so Paul warns the, the Roman officer, his name is Julius, he warns him and says, I don't think we should proceed. And it's not that Paul doesn't want to get to Rome. He does. This is a very important trip. It's the most important missionary journey of his career. If this thing is going to go worldwide, he has to get to Rome. It's not that he's afraid. He just wants to make it there alive. He doesn't want to get there in pieces. And so, so Paul is, is, is pleading with Julius. And he says, listen, we, we, we don't need to continue, not right now, not at this, at this moment, but instead of listening to Paul, he listens to the ship's owner and the captain of the ship. And sure enough, they set sail and things start getting bad. It's so bad that the Bible says they had to tie ropes around the whole of the ship just to keep it together from falling apart. That's how bad the storm was. That's my intro. Acts chapter 27. I'm going to read a lot of verses out of Acts 27 today. Again, this is very different for me, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to present 
this to you today as we talk about the anchor of hope here. Acts chapter 27. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. Leave your Bibles or your digital devices open because I'm going to come back to this numerous times. And um, they can do their best with the media crew keeping up with me. Let's see where this goes. Acts 27 verse 18. It says, the next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Let's stop just for a moment. This is in a day and age before marine navigational equipment. This meant that they could not navigate unless they could see the sun during the day and the stars at night. They became very good at that. But the Bible just told us that, that the storm had blotted out the sun and the stars, and so they did not have their navigational equipment to continue on this journey. And they were lost at sea on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean. And verse 20 tells us everything we need to know right at the very end of it right there. It says this, all hope was gone. All hope was gone. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where all hope is gone, where you just feel hopeless, but man, when you find yourself in a situation that is hopeless, that there's no way out, you feel there's no possible way that you are going to get through this, that you're going to overcome this, it is one of the, 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 the most helpless situations you can be in when you feel hopeless. Verse 21 says, no one had eaten for a long time, finally. Paul called the crew together. I love how Paul was kind of calling the shots on the boat. He's a prisoner. But Paul's kind of calling the shots. And he calls the crew together and he said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. This was Paul's way of saying, I told you so. You ever, you ever looked at somebody and just told them, I told you so? I mean, I've, I've never done that to my wife. Never, ever. Um, Today, not yet today, but the day is young. This is Paul's way of saying, I told you so. And maybe this wasn't the best way to speak to his captors, but, but Paul had a peace inside of him that the rest of the boat didn't have. When the rest of the boat had, had lost all hope, Paul still had a peace. It's probably why they were listening to him at this moment is because the reason why Paul could call everybody together in the middle of the boat and say, hey, it's time for a meeting, is because he is the only calm one left on the boat. Everybody else has lost all hope, but Paul had a reassurance of what was about to happen. Verse 22, Paul says, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. This is where it starts getting crazy. For those of you that don't, you don't like crazy, weird things, the Bible's full of them, okay? Paul says, an angel came and stood beside me. And he said, here's what he said. Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Paul said, so take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. Someone say, it will be just as he said. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. 
There's so much. I've got good news and I've got bad news in this whole little, little few verses right here. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Good news is you're not going to die because you're with me. Well, you know, I'll stay right beside you, Paul. I don't want to die, so, so I'm, I'm going to stay close to you. And sometimes, church, what you have to realize is that the people that you are in close proximity with can save your life. You're not understanding what I'm telling you today, and, and you're going to get there. I promise you, you're going to get there. But sometimes the people who you, whom you are in close proximity with can save your life. I have come to this place in my life, I have come to this place in my ministry that I realize I need armor bearers around me and not pallbearers around me. I need people who are going to lift me up and not hold my head underwater. I need people who will pronounce life over me and not preach my, my, my death from, from the, the bow of the boat. I need people who are going to raise me up and lift me up. You need these people in your life too. I'm not just saying it because I'm the preacher. You need people in your life who will raise you up, who will lift you up and not pull you down and try and pronounce death upon your life. So I've got good news. You're not going to die because you are with me. But I've got bad news. We're about to be shipwrecked. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. Because around midnight on the 14th day of this journey, the 14th day of, of being at sea in a storm, they, they dropped a, a weighted line into the water just to get a, a measure of, of the depth. And when they drop it out the first time, Scripture says that it weighed, or, or that the depth was 120 feet deep. They pull the line back up. And a few hours later, they lower it again. And when they lower it again, at it, it, this moment, it is only 90 feet deep. So they realize we're getting closer to shore. This is how they would measure. When you can't see, when you can't see the shore, let's measure the depth. And so they know we are getting close to the shore. Uh, afraid that the ship was going to run ashore into rocks, they, they dropped four anchors. Four anchors. Now, I have an anchor with me today, and so we're... we're we're just going to see what we can get into trouble with using this. It's, uh, thank you, Pastor Scott. They had four anchors that the Bible says they dropped off the back of the boat. Now, I learned something this week in, in studying that I've always thought, you know, that you cast the anchor, that you, you throw the anchor. And if I've ever been on your boat and I threw the anchor, I apologize. But I have learned this week that that is not the way that you lower an anchor and you set the anchor in, in, into the, the ground below, into the, the, the seabed. Uh, and so the Bible says that they lowered four anchors, something like that, from the back of the boat. But the problem with this, they lowered the anchors and the Bible says they just prayed for daylight. So that's, that's about all they have right there. But some of the sailors were not, they were not content with that plan. And, and so scripture tells us that they, they went to the front of the boat. So there's four anchors out the back of the boat. They went to the front of the boat where they had pulled in the, um, the, the little lifeboat. The Bible says they pulled it in so it wouldn't get, get torn away from the boat. And so they, they go down to the front of the boat under the pretense that they're going to lower 
four anchors on the front of the boat. But they're not happy with the situation. And so instead of lowering those anchors, they actually lowered the boat and they are about to leave everybody else behind. They're about to take off. And, and, and so everyone else is, is, is thinking, well, they're just going to go lower the anchors, but they're actually they're, they're lowering the boat. And, and Paul says to, to Julius, the commanding officer, in, in verse 31, it says, but Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, he said, listen, you will all die. Not just the ones getting in the boat. He says, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the sailors cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. So now there's no lifeboat. There's nothing else to rely on. You got anchors in the front, or front, anchors in the back, and, and, and this is where they're at. Uh, verse 31 now. You will die unless all the sailors stay aboard. So they, they, the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Let, let, me, let me just throw this in really quick here before we move on. Be careful what you anchor your life to. Because your ability to withstand the storms of life is determined by the stability of your anchor. I, I don't want to move too, too quickly here. I want to make sure that you get this. Be careful what, what you are tethered to, what you are anchored to, because you, you can't withstand a recession if your anchor is Wall Street, if that's where your trust is. You, you can't withstand a recession if, if you're relying on some get-rich-quick scheme, okay? There's, there's biblical principles on how you withstand a recession. I'm not preaching on that today, but if you want to figure that out, then, then, then you come talk to me. Well, pastor, we're not in a recession. No, we're not. But we weren't in 2006 either. Okay, here we go. You can't withstand a divorce if your anchor is your career. You can't withstand the temptations of Satan and the attack of the enemy if your anchor is anything else other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, because he's the one that paid it all. And if you are going to survive, listen to me, those of you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me, let me give you the secret to living right now. This is it, this is it. If you came here today looking for an answer, this is the answer. Let Jesus Christ be the anchor that you attach your life to. If, if you will get that, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Now, I'm not a big fan of the beach. I shared this during the, uh, the, the marriage conference in our Friday night session. I'm not a big fan of the beach, but my wife is. So from time to time, I give in and we, we go to the beach. We vacation at the beach every once in a great while. And, and as, as much as I don't like sand getting in places where you can't see, and that's one of my biggest problems with the beach, as much as I, I, I hate that, if I'm going to go, I'm going to get in the water. You can show me all your aerial photos of all the sharks and everything there, but if I'm going to like survive being at the beach, I've got to get in the water. And I like getting in the water, and I like, I like throwing the Frisbee and us diving after the Frisbee. You know, let's, let's just get, you know, let's, 
let's, let's submerge ourselves if we're going to the beach, okay? Let's get on a boogie board. And I can't surf. I'm horrible at surfing. But I'll try a boogie board. And if you ever see me at the beach, my hair's probably going to be in a ponytail, and I just want to go ahead and let you know right now. If not, it's in my face. So just go ahead and laugh, get it over with now, and leave me alone at the beach. But I, I've realized that while you're playing in the ocean, you better keep your eye on that, that umbrella, that, that, little, that little camp spot that you've set up there with your coolers and your umbrella. Because what I have come to learn is that the wind and the waves are no respecter of persons. And I've tried to figure out if, if, if you're smaller, if it moves you more, or if you're larger, like, you know, bigger landmass, you know, like, like, and I can't figure it out yet. But all I do know is that while I'm in the water, I'm watching where we're located at. And all of those hotels start looking the same after a while. So I, I want to know which one is mine. I'm looking for something distinct on that building so that when I end up 50 yards down shore, I know exactly where to come back to. And the reason why this happens is because we're not anchored out in the water. We're not. So we, we are steady being moved. We're at the mercy of the wind and the waves as, as we play in the water. And when we are not anchored in Christ, the winds and waves of life, they push us farther and farther from where we need to be. And sometimes we don't even know where we need to be. Paul's life was a constant storm. If you read about his life, it's, under our standards, it's a mess. Paul was always in trouble. It's like Scooby-Doo in the gang. They always find themselves in a mess, and somehow they get out of it. <clears throat> From a distance, it looked as, as though he was at the mercy of the winds and the waves of not just the, the literal ocean, the literal sea, which he was, but also of the political climate and the religious pious, and sometimes just hard luck. But this situation is about to go from bad to worse. It's like I've got good news, and I've got bad news, and I've got worse news. Verse 39. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders raised the foresail and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed, <clears throat> excuse me, was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. Verse 42 says the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. This thing just got worse. We're supposed to be heading to Rome. But now because... We're about to be shipwrecked. They want to kill all of, of the prisoners. Verse 43 says, but, but the commanding officer, Julius. Somebody say, thank God for Julius. Julius wanted to spare Paul. He can care less about everybody else. This is why it's important to make sure that you are in connection with the right inner circle. Because they can save your life. 
He wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Everyone escaped safely to shore. Sometimes, church, the only way that God can get you out of your, your, your storm is to force you to swim. Because you're way too dependent on the vessel that you have put confidence in because that vessel is not Jesus Christ. And so whatever it is, God's speaking to some of you right now. Whatever it is, whatever you've placed your confidence in, God may be asking you to, to, to jump ship from that because it needs to be abandoned because you can't trust anything unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who could swim began to swim. And if they couldn't swim, the Bible says they found a piece of the boat to hold on to until they made it safely to shore. And they end up spending, get this, they end up spending the next three months Three months shipwrecked on this, this tiny little island called Malta. For three months, they stay there. Now, what's crazy about Paul's life, I told you that, that, that Paul's life was just one big storm, it seems like. But what's crazy is this isn't the first time he's been shipwrecked. Maybe that's why everybody was listening to him. Because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25, Paul had survived at least three other shipwrecks in his life. This is number four. How many of you agree with me, I'm never sailing with Paul? Never. I'm not getting on a boat with Paul. No, I'll walk to Rome. I'm not riding with Paul on that boat. Paul was no stranger to the winds. He was no stranger to the waves. But Paul had an assurance of his anchor. He didn't depend on four anchors on the back of that boat and anchors on the front of that boat. That wasn't his anchor. He was willing to, to, to jump ship when it started breaking apart. Paul had an assurance and he had a word from God that he could depend on. And we read it in verse 24 when he said, don't be afraid, Paul. This is what the angel said. Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. When God tells you that, then you can take it to the bank, friend. Bet the farm on it if you want to. When God gives you reassurance, then you know you're going to make it through that storm. He said, what's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. You see, when you have the promise in mind, the setbacks along the way, they will not affect your faith. The setbacks aren't going to harm you. The setbacks, when you've got reassurance from God that you are going to be uh, uh, successful, when you've got reassurance that you're going to be the head and not the tail, when you've got the reassurance that God is going to see you through, then you are anchored to the right anchor. And you're going to be all right. And, and Paul had that assurance, and Paul knew that he was eventually going to stand before Caesar, and it would be the greatest moment in his ministry career. We don't know exactly when. We don't know how it happened, but Paul knew that God was going to get him an appointment with the most powerful man in the known world. No doubt in his mind, Paul knew it. And although the Bible never clearly states whether or not Paul ever stood trial before Caesar, Paul did write these words from Rome to the church in, in, in Philippi. And he wrote to the Philippian church and he said these words in, in Philippians 4 and 22. He said, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. If you know what's happening in Caesar's household, if you know what 
his children are thinking and, and that they're sending greetings to the church in, in Philippi, then, then you've stood before Caesar. The Bible may not make it clear for us. We may not know that. But if you can write in a letter that, that Caesar's household says hello, you've, you've stood before Caesar. Eventually, they do make it to Rome. Paul still wasn't free to go and, and he couldn't just move and go as he pleased. And, and he was on house arrest for like two years or so when they were in Rome. And, and, and the Bible says this, though, that he got to preach the gospel boldly and without hindrance. Boldly and without hindrance. When he got to Rome, it was a different atmosphere. He wasn't having to deal with the Jews anymore. Now he had people that even though their theology was all messed up, they were hungry. And he was able to preach boldly and without hindrance. He was in the capital of the most powerful empire of its day. And God uses Paul in his downtime. When he wasn't preaching the gospel, he was writing. And it was there on house arrest that he begins to write. He writes the book of Ephesians. He writes the letter to the Philippians. He writes the letter to the Colossians. And he, he, he writes a letter to to. Uh, Philemon, and, 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 and he writes it to, 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 to numerous others. N not only was he able to write letters to churches that give us part of our Bible, but, but he, his influence in Rome, it would eventually lead to the spread of Christianity, which would become, get this, the state religion for the Roman Empire. Now, you don't think that it was important for God to sustain him and get him to Rome? The reason why you and I are Christians today is because God made sure that Paul made it from Caesarea Maritima and he sustained him because he was anchored to the anchor of hope, Jesus Christ. And he sustained him to where he finally got the audience with Caesar. And eventually it becomes the, the, the state religion of the Roman Empire. Now this is crazy, church. How does a polytheistic society that believes in, in many gods, how does it convert to Christianity worshiping the one true living God? And I'll tell you, it's simple. It's so simple. It's this. Paul held on to the anchor of hope. Paul held on to the anchor of hope. This is what sustains us. This is what gives us the strength for living. And we're not certain who wrote the, the letter in the Bible to the Hebrews. But, but there are many, many scholars that attribute it to the Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and it makes sense. I mean, he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. So it's, it's possible. It's very possible that the 14th book that he wrote was Hebrews. Whether or not it was him, we don't know, but here's, here's what we do know. It, it sounds a lot like him. L listen to what he says in, in Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 19. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, get this, he swore by himself. Who does God swear to? Since there was no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So God came through with his promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. He said, there's two unchangeable things. I'm telling this is how Paul writes. I'm convinced Paul wrote it. He says, there's two unchangeable things. He says, first of all, it's God's promise. Uh, years ago, years ago, I heard my dad preaching. My dad, he, he went by a, a, a car going down the, the highway, and he, he saw a bumper sticker on the back, and it said, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. My dad preached a sermon. He said, God said it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. That settles it. God's word, God's promise. If God said it, I believe it because God is not a man that he should lie. And so the writer of Hebrews says there's two unchangeable things. He says the first one is God's promise, God's word. He said the second one is his oath. Now this is where it gets interesting to me and, and I'm trying to, to bring this ship to port so y'all, y'all stay with me. God didn't have to give us an oath. He gave us his promise. Why would God give us an oath If he said it and that settles it, nothing can solidify his word any more than what has already been spoken. Nothing can be more certain. Nothing can be any more surer than his word. God cannot lie. But yet God confirmed time and time again, when God would give his word, he would would confirm it with an oath. The promise of the oath is for our sake. And this is crazy to me, that the creator of the universe, the most powerful being ever, would use a tool like this for confirmation and insurance for us. And it's God, as he so often does, he condescends to do the same for us. When God became man, he did so to reach us. He lowered himself to become one of us, to pay a price for us. When when God confirms through the laying out of a fleece, is that not just the most ridiculous thing? I tell people, and many of you know, I've taught about the fleece, and and I've, I've had conversations this week with someone laying out a fleece. I wholeheartedly believe in it, but it is the most ridiculous thing that that God that we would have to seek confirmation from God. And, and it's not that God needs to be held accountable. It's not that at all. It's that our finite minds, we, we, just, we need the oath. We need that to, so that we will, 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 will put our trust there. For some reason, that's what we need. And God obliges. And it's, it's mind-boggling to me. But Scripture says that, that, that God will use what is foolish to confound the wise. So sometimes God just just does the crazy things like this. And one of the crazy things that he does is he gives an oath for his promise. Something he's already said. He said, I will give you an oath to give you hope for the promise. Not so that you can hold me accountable, but so that you can be reassured and you have something to put your faith in. And he puts his own name on the line. His honor is at stake and he swears by himself. When I was sworn in as, as city commissioner for Newberry, and, and 
I took my Bible with me. And I had my wife hold the Bible as, as they were swearing me in. And it was, it was one of those things where I had to, you know, hold my hand on the Bible, raise my right hand, and, and swear to defend the Constitution of the United States of America as a local city commissioner. I don't know how much constitutional stuff we actually dealt with, but that was the, the, the oath that I took. They do this to solidify the oath on something greater than my name and my word. It's not good enough. My name and my word is not good enough. And I get it. I've let some people down. So my name and my oath is not good enough. It's not. And so they have me stand there with a Bible my wife holding my Bible and I raised my hand and I took that oath of, oath of office on his word. And I know it may not mean something to everyone that does that, but man, let me tell you, in that moment, it was the most real that it's ever been. And I, I, I said, I, I don't care if I make enemies in this city. I don't care. It, it's, it, I, they may not ever want me to, to be in this capacity again. I may be the worst commissioner ever. And I was supposed to be the shortest lived commissioner until COVID hit and, and extended it. But that's a story for another day. There's nothing greater than his name. And so God puts his name on the line. He swears by his name. The weight of his word is the anchor that keeps us steady during the storm. It's the weight of his word. Listen, I, I know that God sends us into storms. Jesus one time made the disciples get into the boat, and the Bible says he sent them into a storm. So I know that he sends us into storms. But when he sends us into the storms, we've got a choice to make. Where do we put our trust? What is our anchor for this storm? And I'm afraid sometimes we lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Some people think that this anchor holds them back from living. Like, Oh, I want to do that, but I, I just can't. Walking this thing, this Christian, I, I just can't do what I want to do. And in their minds, this becomes a hindrance. Church, let me tell you something about Jesus Christ, the anchor for my soul. He's not a hindrance, He's a help. This is not suppressing me. Church, this is supporting me. This, this is not a bore. This is a benefit. My God, he's not dead weight. He navigates my life. And where would my life be? A ship bound for nowhere. 
on an unforgiving sea. Paul understood. That Jesus Christ was the anchor for his soul. God said it. It came to pass. It might have been delayed in, in, in man's calendar time. But in God's perfect time, he stood before Caesar. And he said everything that needed to be said. And somehow he convinced the Roman Empire to put their trusts in Jesus Christ, the very one that they executed. I don't want him just in my boat. I want him to be my boat. I need Jesus. I need him. And you need Jesus. And whatever storm it is, you grab hold of the anchor of hope. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you know that he's going to bring you through. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.